Peace to the planet. I go by the name of Charlemagne the God. My mama calls me Lenard McKelvey. See, I thought I just had a face for radio, then some good white people at Comedy Central gave me a new TV show called The God's Honest Truth. Won't God do it? And you know they couldn't contain my blessed black and highly favored ass to just 30 minutes once a week. Nope, I'm delivering extended sermons straight into your ears like a dollar store Q-tip. Plus, the check already cleared so I can say whatever the hell I want. Like, cracker ass cracker. See? Listen to The God's Honest Truth on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss out on the top stories from the best insiders around the NFL. I'm your host, Rhett Lewis, and on the NFL Inside Report podcast, I'll go around the league for in-depth analysis and storytelling with a multitude of exclusive NFL insiders getting unmatched access. Game recaps, the biggest news, and in-depth storytelling that take you beyond the headlines multiple times per week, all on the NFL Inside Report podcast. Listen to NFL Inside Report on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. But now, there are vaccines. And they are the very first step that let us get back to what we miss most. It's okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. And because I was an odd-looking woman or girl, you know, I wasn't, you know, and I'm, and I'm sort of, I'm bisexual and I'm not, you know, I'm not, so, I'm not your average girl, right, you right. know. I think I avoided some of that for that reason. And also because I was in, you know, I had a really, like the position of the base is a kind of like important position. So it's like, if I'm yeah. there, it's like, whoa, you know, it was like, it was like, whoa. so people, <laughs> no, so people, I don't know, I had a certain respect and I, and I, and that's all I asked for anybody, male or female, really. Hello and welcome to Bald Talk, the podcast wherein two bald comedians interview bald actors, comedians, musicians, directors, lunatics, sane people, and really anyone bald about being bald. I'm Charlie Sanders, and I am bald. I'm Brian Husky. Spoiler, I'm also bald. Yes, and Brian, our guest today is also bald, thank God, because that's what our show is about. Oh, thank God. But she's a, a hell of a lot more than just bald. She is one of the most prolific, successful, and talented musicians of all time. She mm -hmm. played bass in David Bowie's band from 1995 to 2016. From 1993 to 1996, she toured with Tears for Fears. She has also played and recorded with, I can't name them all because we'd run out of time, but here's a few <laughs> highlights. Lenny Kravitz, Boy George, the Indigo Girls, Gwen Stefani, Seal, the ultimate bald guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gang of four, many, many more. Brian, our guest musician today is Gail Ann Dorsey. Gail, welcome to Bald Talk. Gail. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having me. This is, a, this is unique. <laughs> oh, man. This is, this is a first. A first. <laughs> This is your first time on a bald-related podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I love it. Really? Um, that shocks me. Because I will say this: like this, I, I had the same thing. We, our, our connection to you is via Tony Levin. Yes. Um, yes. He and he was he was a delight, and yeah. uh, I nerded out to him that oh, yeah. like when I was coming up and learning uh, 
play the bass uh, and I was just everything was kind of like bass oriented I remember at a certain point being aware of you like when you were mm-hmm. playing with uh, David mm-hmm. Bowie and stuff and yeah. just you you should have your own comic book because the image <laughs> that of you on stage with those cool little inner ear uh, yeah. headphone things <laughs> it's so rocking and your bass looks so big and but, but you look so powerful playing it and then your bald head it was oh just like God. so great that's yeah. interesting you know because I know that at one point when I started with Bowie he had a he had just done or licensed some of his music to a game company, like a Omicrom, Omnicrom. I can't remember like the name of it now. It was of. like a video game at the time. So this is like early '90s. So they was kind of they would have been like not anything like they have now because you know right. It's like two um, two blocks with a leg walking. Yeah, <laughs> but they had characters that were based on band members. They actually had little cartoon characters of us. Oh, oh, that's, that's awesome. so cool! At the time, yeah, so yeah, I'd have to. I don't know where you could find. I never. I'm not into. I'm not into video games, so I wouldn't. I, I saw like a, pic, <laughs> a little clip of it once. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's like what Gorillas did when they were when they were, was that at Gorillas the that band from. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They with, did a video, with, some um, video game stuff. It's like a side project of Pulp or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They had exactly. Those little personas. I love that. Uh, actually, it was a friend of David. No, who's the guy in that band? That. Um, not Pulp, but one of those bands I can't think of mm-hmm. now. Woohoo! The one that sang that song. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Blur, blur. 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 That's blur. it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. See, we're already nerding out about music. I love there it. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, Gail, do you choose to be bald or are you bald by nature? I choose to be. Okay, cool. A long time ago. So, you're a chosen bald. You're one of our first chosen balds. That's so cool. I am. Yeah. It was the best decision I felt, one of the best personal decisions I could have made for myself, just in my own skin. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. What, yeah. what inspired it? Well, it's it's the whole sort of thing around black hair. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen any of those films that Chris Rock did a great film about black I hair. I saw that, and like yeah. the whole mm-hmm. That whole culture. And I grew up in that kind of culture. I mean, in the early 60s, and my mother was from Virginia. Mm. And, uh, you know, all little black girls had to have their hair straightened. I mean, it was just a thing you had to do it, whether you, um, unless you had a, 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 like a sort of militant mom or something, a sort of Angela Davis kind of <laughs> yes. mom. And, and my mother was, had me when she was older. So she was definitely from a whole nother generation. She was like 41 mm. when she had me. Oh, and that's, mm. and in the sixties, that's like, that's, that's like unheard, unheard of. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah, it's, yeah. now it's kind <laughs> now of normal. It's not <laughs> now it's normal. But, um, so, you know, I, I used to hate to have my hair straight and I just thought it was awful. And I wanted to be one of those sort of, I wanted to be like Angela Davis with a big fro and everything. And then my, one of my older brothers um, became Muslim and got interested in that with, with the whole sort of Black Panther, Malcolm X, that whole sort of mm-hmm. thing was happening at that time. And then he went into the Marines and then he came home and he was like, you know, you've got to let her have her afro. You know, she's got to be. So that was the first step. You know, I was allowed uh-huh. to have a fro when, by the time I was like 13 or 14. So I had to go oh, through wow. years of like this hot comb shit, which I hated. I'm sorry, my <laughs> oh, <friend. wow. gasps> so I think I was traumatized with hair in the beginning. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. where, just too much work. That's where it started. Too much work. And, it, and I just thought. So it's it, painful when you have to it do was that painful. process. It, it can be because you can get burnt. You know, it can sort of yeah. the little hot comb can hit your scalp in the wrong spot. And, and it's just a weird concept to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird to have. It's weird the idea of having your hair have a historical legacy, you know, societal yeah. implications and like all that. Wow, yeah. But I mean, you know, people do whatever with their hair. I mean, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's like you can you dye it, you know, blow it, whatever you want to do. But I just, you know, the first thing that 
Um, the first time I shaved was a mohawk, so I started small. I just tried that when I was 19. And that, I was inspired by uh, Grace Jones. Grace Jones mm-hmm. was like the first for me uh, um, when I was just, I was away from home. I was fine, you know, I was out of college or I left college, I should say. And I was in New York. I was on, you know, 20, 19, 20, getting into the world and on my own. And still very much into, you know, making music and, and trying to succeed as a musician. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I was, Grace Jones, like, was the first person that I saw. She was such a role model because she came out and she was nothing like little black girls from anywhere. <laughs> she was from another mm-hmm. planet. And, yeah. it, and it just gave me a, a, a feeling of, like, I can, you know, I can shed mm-hmm. things that don't feel good yeah. for me. You know, like yes. in that in that yeah. way, I can be brave because she showed me that you can, and also the whole, just her whole image, and she had the box cut, you know, like the cropped yeah, hair yeah. and the kind of, and you you know, dress man suit, and then she'd be naked, and then she, yeah. she had all these different beautiful like artistic images of her that I thought were just stunning. So that gave me the courage to at least oh, start cool. like doing something mm-hmm. a bit more radical with my hair. My little afro turned into a mohawk, and then finally I just took the whole thing off, and I never looked back. Wow, <laughs> just that's amazing. One less thing to think of, too, like to worry about fixing or do, dealing I with. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just, I just am I'm bald by nature, but uh, I agree with you. I love that I don't have to worry about it. And it's funny because yeah. my wife has this giant, I mean, it's beautiful. I love a yeah. huge head of hair. But um, sure. I mean, the maintenance that goes into it is astounding. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't do anything. Indeed. I just, throw on the free product Karamo gave us when he came on. That's it. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. No, it's definitely just liberating, you know, less money, less time. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. Do you, have you ever had, uh, cause we talk about, I mean, just the beauty standards, the kind of like, uh, just that for, for men, they're like, I don't know, three beauty standards. Yeah. There's like nothing. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> my, I only have one. Try not to be too fat. That's my only. Yeah. yeah. Be kind of tall, be not too dumpy and have hair. And then if you don't have hair, nobody yeah. cares. But like for women, it is an endless, ever changing uh, list and stuff. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever encountered any of that? I mean, it, it, you seem like your, your own your own thing. You know what yeah. I mean? You really... I, I've always been that way. I mean, my mother used to go like, I, why aren't you more like your sister? You know, I was the youngest of five. I had a sister ahead of me and then three older brothers. Oh, well. mm. I was the surprise baby, hence 41. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, my sister was all Barbie dolls and long hair, straightened, like, loved it all, dresses, the whole thing. I was always a mm-hmm. bit of a tomboy and just different. I just felt... Yeah. I don't know. I felt different. I felt I didn't feel like I'd fit in very well, and I and I didn't fit in very much in my schools in my neighborhood, especially elementary school. You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I always wore weird clothes, and you know, I remember watching seeing A Star Is Born, which was one of my favorite movies, and Barbara Streisand had those furry boots, those big white oh, yeah. big furry boots, <laughs> in one of these scenes, and I and I found like a sort of I don't even know what the fur Your was made of out it. of, but it, you know, something in some flea market somewhere that kind of looked like those boots. And I would just proudly wear those, you know, to school. Gave and, you a and, rash, and, but you didn't care. I know. Just kept, kept on trucking. Exactly. And the kids would just look at me like, what the, you, you wow, know, what wow. are you, what is she? I mean, it was just like, so I was always like different. I just was. And I'm, and I was not afraid of that for some reason, I, because I'm actually quite shy and, and not very mm-hmm. sociable and kind of quite, you know, um, sensitive about a lot of things, but I, I, when it comes to just my own inner comfort of who I am, I can't 
compromise. I just can't. That's something that's really interesting to me about musicians, because a lot of them, I mean, inherently you're performing, but you're kind of performing in execution of something. You know, you're playing your instrument, you're yeah. you're you're executing this idea and stuff. But to me, it feels like a lot of musicians are are kind of shy, kind of uh, don't want much attention. But then, what their mm-hmm. skin feels comfortable it is very different and. By uh, by other people's standards, like, oh, you're calling attention to yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it really mm-hmm. isn't. It's just sort of like, no, this is just what feels right to me. Or, yeah. you know. So it really makes sense that you entered into a world of, you know, music and stuff. Yeah. yeah that you ended up teaming up with David Bowie. <laughs> it's certainly, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Who actually yeah. re- really liked his privacy, too. He was very, he wasn't, he wasn't the wild not in the in the time that I worked with him. I mean, he used to say he was glad that I didn't know him before, like before 1995, because oh, wow. oh. I don't think, I think that was, you know, back in the day when he was doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay, um, yeah. You know, that, that time, he, he, I don't, I think it gave me the impression he didn't like himself much at that time. Like, like oh, he, did, wow. he didn't like how he was at that time. Uh-huh. But, but, yeah. but, but thankfully, by the time I met him, he was just the, the, ultimate gentleman and and just very quiet and normal and just mm-hmm. wanting to you know do his thing but um yeah no i just I, I i've always felt um performing for me is just it's my release in a sense mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. and it's not because i need um i need i, I just feel like i i'm here to channel this music because i certainly don't know how i know how to do it that you know i'm not trained and everything and and then mm-hmm. you end up in bowie's band and stuff like like all the things that have happened to me i i sometimes i can't even believe it you know mm-hmm. i had i had dreams of certain things but most of it i've just opened up and let let the universe bring what it brings so as far as not being trained, you are you sort of self-taught? You just mm-hmm. jumped in and joined a band? That I love that. Yeah, I'm I self-taught. <laughs> I can't read music. Um, I, do, I know a little bit of theory. I, I've been studying over the last like 10 years, actually. I started taking these when I'm out on tour with Lenny or somebody. I take these online classes that Berkeley offers, Berkeley College mm-hmm. of Music. They do like these 12-week, you know, of course, for like each semester of the year. And they offer courses in all kinds of things like classical beginner classical guitar or bass or whatever vocals you name it and, and also like uh, mixing and things like that so mm-hmm. i've i took a few i took a theory course theory 101 and i've taken a few guitar courses because guitar is my first instrument and my favorite instrument oh oh, oh. really oh i love the guitar the bass was a serendipitous uh, blessing you're like sir paul <laughs> i guess yeah no yeah yeah it's, yeah that's true I, I forgot that he was yeah he started with guitar yeah yeah. Um, what is the, I, Brian plays bass, and I definitely want we, us to do a segment where Gail and Brian geek out about bass because I love musicians talking about music. <laughs> you can make a sandwich. <laughs> no, no, I, I want to listen to it. Uh, yeah, but what is what makes you like playing guitar more than playing bass? It's just the first instrument that caught my attention. Like it's the first mm. thing I heard on records, and that that mood like just slayed me. Like. Yeah. Like a guitar solo from Jimi Hendrix or or or, or Mark Farner from Grand Funk Railroad. That was like one of uh, yeah. incredible guitar players in those eras. You know, it was Clapton. I loved yeah. Cream, and and I was hearing all this, and even like and the even the the sort of R and B music of that era from when I was very young and starting to hear the first records, mo- mostly hand me downs from my siblings. 
Um, mm. It was like a lot of like R and B was very rock as well. It was very, it was a good, yeah. it was a really cool mm-hmm. blend because and they, there were a lot of albums by white artists like um, you know Rare Earth or so, you know those kind of bands mm, that right. were and they all had this kick ass guitar, you know, just and and there's something about a guitar like an electric guitar solo, like the notes just, I just would just I would be like, that's you know. You know, like a, yeah. like a voice. It was like I understand like that language. Totally, totally. It's a and it would move, and it was so emotive. Like a certain yeah. note would just be like, oh, would make me cry, and then another one would just make me, you know, take my breath away and stuff like that. So yeah. that's why I love. I don't know why a guitar captured me, and the same with acoustic guitar. Like like not like oh the pickers like Jim Croce, and uh, in fact I think is his picture back there. Uh, I don't yep, know. that's him. He's next to him. Oh, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> you got and, all your and, heroes and, up and there. Yeah, and Janice Ian there. Oh, wow. That's cool. Uh, that, Very cool. that stuff is just, uh, yeah, this is my little workroom. I have all my heroes that inspire me. Is your love, like, since, because it's interesting, like, with Paul McCartney, he has a very melodic. A lot of his bass lines, I mean, he does a lot of backbone root kind of stuff, but he has a lot of melody. And Oh, God, yes. In your own stuff. I listened a little bit to um, your 2004 record this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that one, The, the Fool. The Fool, it? yeah. I love that one. But listening to it, I was like, oh, this is not a bass-oriented album. This is just an album. And, you exactly. know, the guitar work was amazing. But have you, in doing your own music or playing with someone else, you know, you are in service of their song, but... If you were sort of left to your own devices and you were like, okay, I'm going to be in a band, I play the bass, would mm-hmm. you kind of drift towards introduction of like melodic sort of lines or things? A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Those are my favorite bass players in pop music anyway. My favorite bass player of all time is like Charles Mingus, just just mm-hmm. in terms of like the instrument itself, the, the yeah. origin of it. And I've never, I mean, he is a bass. It's, I've never yeah. seen an instrument embody somebody more than him. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the, Bass players that are my all top favorites are like are like Tony Levin, yeah. Leland, Leland yep. Scalar, Joe Osborne is like he did all the he's he's part of the Wrecking Crew. He's a bassist on the yeah. Carpenters. He's on Streisand. Oh. He's on the Partridge Family, which were some of the first records that I fell in love with. The early Partridge Family records, listening to mm-hmm. the AM radio, that kind of playing is just that's what I strive for. I feel like sometimes I I stump I fall short of it because because of my lack of theory like like really knowing what I'm doing but I, I rely as much as I can on my ear and I hear what they're doing and I know exactly what they're doing and it sometimes yeah. it takes me a while to find it but I that's always my goal is to be that wow. kind of a player just to be you know I'm thinking of like you know it's 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 just such a it's that's really using the bass, I think, to its its maximum. Those players who who can mm-hmm. melodically work around a song, especially a pop song. And because I sing, I think I have a um, those things are not the bass and my voice are kind of connected somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, yes. you know, they're not separate. Like I must, I think I th- if I can sing it in my head, like I think, you know, I'm thinking like a singer, but I'm playing the bass. You know, it's like it's somehow they're they're intertwined in my. DNA somehow. Yeah, I think. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> it's so it's so interesting hearing that you 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 don't have training. That early early on when I found out that people could play music without taking lessons, or I mean, when I like found punk rock and it's like, oh, these people just made noise until it sounded like something. <laughs> they just don't give up. Nothing wrong with I that. I love that. Exactly. Love and there's nothing wrong with a little noise. Just, to me, that's the same thing as like I'm just gonna paint my house 
you know, a crazy color and just become an artist, you know, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> screw you. Yeah, that's right. But did you ever have, because I, I don't know, when did you start doing in, in, acting and stuff, Charlie? What, like, were you sort of... I was, I, I like to say that um, I hadn't stopped playing Dungeons and Dragons when I started doing improv. So I've basically <laughs> been pretending and playing characters my entire life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, like uh, high school, probably 15 is when I started doing improv. Yeah, because in earnest, I started like when I was like 28 or something and I, oh. for, I wrestled a lot with imposter syndrome, the feeling like I was this person who had, oh, right. who had just like a curiosity and, and talent for it, but I didn't have the training and I didn't have the, all that stuff. Right. Have yeah, you, I used to feel have like you, that. Yeah. Have you in your professional, I mean, cause you've, you are a professional. I mean, you are a musician. It is just who you are. But have you ever had that kind of like, what the f- what the fuck am I doing up on this stage with these people? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot until like maybe the last 15 years or so. I've oh, o- wow. only just been starting to earn the fact of, of, of how good I mm-hmm. am. And I don't mean it in a sense of like, I'm brilliant, but like what I, what I'm capable of. And I, because I've started to look back and I go, my God, I've held my own with all of that. Like the names mm-hmm. you read out. A lot of them, I can't even remember the, the details of those tours, but I just know I've worked with all these people, and then I just think, well, I must have, you know, no one ever fired me, so I must have done yeah. a good job. Well, they just like your hair. So, they just like your haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that, that bald, bald thing. thing. I know it must it's be. It must be. Thing. Must be some kind of like hypnotic uh, thing. With if you listen back to those concerts, your notes are all over the map. Looks great. Yeah, the cone. It's, it's so funny. I, well, th- I have to say, being bald has definitely worked to my visual advantage. Because yeah. I think it, mm-hmm. I, it, especially for a woman, I think it's been, it's definitely was worked a lot for Bowie, and I know he that was part of what he enjoyed. Oh, interesting. You know, he certainly liked to come and rub my head sometimes, like it was some kind of little <laughs> making a wish. You've had your head rubbed by Bowie. <laughs> like crazy. a little, you know, he used to like to come over sometimes in the middle of the show and just give it a little rub like he's making a wish on a lamp or something. Or something. <laughs> Good luck. Wow, that's crazy. I'd be like, but, I'm never but, washing my head again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No kidding. Oh, wow. No, I definitely felt like I, I was an imposter, too. I did. I used to think, when are they going to find out? You know, especially mm-hmm. when like people would change a key on something and I'd be like, oh my God, I've learned this by ear and now they're going to change the key at the last minute and then there's, <laughs> there's eight other people here that I'm going to hold up because the bass is in charge. Yeah, the base the base is one hundred percent in charge of everything. So if you don't know where you're going, no one else is going to get there without wow. you. Whoa, will you explain that a little more? The base is in charge. I learned that. I learned that the hard way. Well, you learn it a little bit. It's almost like you know taking your first training wheels off your little training bike, and then you fall mm. over the first time, and you think you know, and you hurt your knee, and you're like, oh, that that can happen, you know. Right. My, <laughs> and and I felt like the first time I went out on a gig or something with with as a bass player, I was like 15 or something at that point. I had just got my first bass job in a top 40 band, like in the summer in Philly. Playing, you yeah. know, in playing Sweet Sixteen parties or whatever. Whoever, you know, <laughs> this, this older guy had run the band. And he got these gigs, and and um, you know, I made mistakes. I made a mistake or two or three, maybe even. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember. Right. And the moment that happened as a bass player, because I'd done it as a guitar player. I had a little trio, but I was mm-hmm. a guitar player in that trio, and I never kind of. And I have to say, I used to be kind of like always giving the bass player like the stink eye, you know, as we call it. <laughs> Because because he would like fuck up and I'd be like, oh, that's you can't do that. You know, it just ruins everything. But I never thought of it from a bass player's perspective. I just thought, oh, he's he's forgetting the part. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then I was the bass player. And then when it happened to me, I more a few times I realized it's you know I'm not forgetting the part. I'm just making a mistake. But I can't do that because when mm-hmm. I do, the whole thing seems to fall apart. Like everything. Wow. Yeah. You know something leaves this the the space becomes like this like like wow like a black void or something and you, yeah. and you're fumbling to get back on track and then you do and. <laughs> You know, and it's not the end of the world. You know, some artists take it better than others. Yeah. And it happens, and it happens to even the greats, you know. That's when I discovered, you know, why the bass is important. Yeah, yeah it's so funny you say it happens to even the greats, because I saw the Beastie Boys at Lollapalooza when I was like 14 years old and obsessed mm. with the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. And they started out <laughs> playing, <laughs> and... It got fucked. The song like got messed up, and even the whole audience of Lollapalooza could be like, "Oh, they're not. They're they're fucking up." <laughs> and they just stopped and were like, "All right, we fucked that one up. Let's start again." Oh, and right. I remember as a young artist being like, "Oh shit, okay, you can fuck up and just start again." Yeah. Yes, of course you can. And, and yeah. David, da- I can't tell you how many times David would screw up and he would just want to start again. He didn't care. Oh, wow. and it was funny. Well, not loads of times, but yeah. he, w- it, he would forget a word or he'd forget to come in and he would just laugh it off and he'd go, oh, okay, no, 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 wait, 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 start again. You know, like it can- and it's like, like we were in rehearsal. Yeah. And, audience, yeah. and I think people love that. They can, you know, relate to, to the fact that you, you know, Okay, you're up there on the stage of David Bowie, but you're still a human being, you know. Like, yeah. We're, we're not uh, completely foolproof. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's, you know, even my hero, who's, who's, who I think is one of the most meticulous bass players I've ever heard and worked with, Nathan East, who produced my first solo album when I was mm-hmm. on Warner's, he is like a machine. I never, like, he's very rare I've ever heard him or seen him slip up, but, he, he, but I have. Even yeah. when I saw him, even when I saw him do a little, you know, it might be even small, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, God, you almost did it, you almost screwed uh, you up, messed up, you know. <laughs> and I, and he is just so perfect when he plays. He's really, really spot on all the time. That's cool. Great player. Yeah, I was thinking just what you said about the bass being the 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 backbone. Somebody put it to me that it was like it's kind of like. Uh, you know, they refer to a house as like it's the bones of a house or something. It's it's, oh. it's the structure of it and stuff. But yeah. I, even then, I was like, but why? But in a way, it kind of like the drum is there to kind of keep it moving. You know, that that's mm-hmm. like the motor mm-hmm. of it a little bit. Yeah. And the bass, the bass is straddling that in that it's playing, it's keeping that rhythm with the drums, mm-hmm. and it's also kind of playing with the melody at the same time. So you're sort of straddling two oh. yeah. two things. Absolutely. Yeah. Can be. Yeah. I, I think of it as like being the wheel of a mm-hmm. of a vehicle. Like it really steer. Oh. It steers. The, it's driving everything. It's supporting the. In, like it's taking the, the little the car itself on its its journey. Mm-hmm. Like that's how oh. I kind of see it. You know, like yeah. Like I, I'm I'm in charge. So if my hands go off that wheel or I go the wrong way, everybody's going that way with me. No matter no matter what happens. Yeah. No matter what happens. That's. That's how I see it because that's what it feels. You know, the first times it was happening, especially on a big gig, it just freaked me the fuck out. I was like, oh my god! You know, I would just beat myself up for days. Yeah. But now I now you know I'm I I do I have to say I have I feel like I have I've stopped beating myself up and I allow the fact that I have had some amazing accomplishments and I and I accept the 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 praise for them graciously. I do because yeah. I, you know I I it's not anything. Uh, for me, it's not anything to be big-headed about, but it's something to mm-hmm. definitely be grateful for mm-hmm. <laughs> more yeah. than anything. Yeah. And oh, there, totally. Yeah, and there's a there's a there's a, a 
gracious, grateful way of being proud, too, you know, to, mm, that's mm-hmm, that, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, I've worked hard. I have. Yeah. I've spent a lot of hours. I've made a lot of sacrifices for things in my life to, you know, it's been hard on relationships, all kinds of things. So mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, I dedicated myself to, to making music, and, I, and, I, and it has rewarded me. I, I read on... Uh, I guess it was on your Wikipedia page or something that you you went so far as to write screenplays so that you could write the music for the movie. Like you did this this retro well, this backwards engineering yeah. thing. Well, it wasn't that wasn't the only reason, but I would have liked to have done that. No, I was into movies. I was into That's screenplays. Cool. I wanted to be a screenwriter. I thought I did at one yeah. point. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So like I got into theater and like and and stuff when I was in high school and I started getting into I like I love film. I just I watched movies all the time. That mm-hmm. era like the all through the whole 70s the movies were amazing. The yeah. Televi- yeah. the television was amazing. Um well. and I I was just so I think so. <laughs> think I think so. Lumbo? You think it's holding up? Well. Well, no, but I do think some of those sitcoms were really really good. Yeah, you know, like yeah, like the Norman Lear stuff. I'm thinking, you know, and Mary yeah. Hartman, Mary Hartman, stuff like that was just like, kind oh, of, totally. You know, it was really kind of it was interesting. It was, mm-hmm. it was creative and stuff, and everybody, mm, yeah. everything was kind of different. It was yeah. weirdly edgy. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. and and it's funny now. I feel like you can't even like some of the things that they said or did there. It's like it's not cool to do anymore, and it's like I don't know if that's. The best way to look at it. That's just mm-hmm. my you know. You know, it's not that you need to celebrate it, but it it, it exists. So it's but just to not even talk about it mm-hmm. is like kind of worse than talking about. Yeah, it's it. to pretend. Yeah, that is not there. But anyway, you know. So I was into movies a lot. Big big movie. Always going to the cinema and also mm-hmm. loving. Loving the song the songs that were in movies. Like I loved all the the things that you know. I I did a. I did a podcast for a WFUV radio station. Well, it's not a podcast. It was kind of a, a thing for their marquee members uh, where they were. They have a thing where you do like um, an artist picks eight songs. They call it eight track. Mm. Oh. And then you it can be a theme, but you, you tell why those songs mean something to you. So my theme was songs that had won an Academy Award. I picked eight, I picked seven songs that had won. Maybe there were two that, that I thought should have won. Mm-hmm. didn't in a particular year and then the last song was a song that if i had ri- if i had made one of my screenplays if i if, if it ever happened to be a film this would have been the song i would have picked to be the theme song of that film so that was the last song which was a fifth dimension song but oh, cool. you know so i was i always felt like that connection between visual and music was really really strong and a yeah. lot of music that i was introduced to came from movies like like I like looking at um, the Thomas Crown Affair, one of my favorite movies with Faye Dunaway, Michelle Legrand. You know lo- what little black girls listening to Michelle Legrand? Because I saw that movie, I, <laughs> I fell in love with that kind of music. Wow. Yeah. You know, so then I start buying Michelle Legrand album. You know, so I got into different yes. things that most kids wouldn't have been listening to, and I was searching out this stuff that I was seeing. So music and, and images, and because they really work so beautifully together, especially in those kind of films, Summer of oh Two and. Yeah. Yeah. These beautiful, rich scores and these great songs, you know, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I'm Easy from Nashville, you know, those kind of songs mm-hmm. were just oh, so yeah. great. So that's so interesting. So but that's, if, you, if you hadn't found, if you hadn't moved towards music, it sounds like inherently you, you would have done something creative. Oh, for sure. No question. Yeah. No question. Yeah. 
No, I had to, I had to. I had to. I kind of feel the same way because I jumped around from different stuff. And then my daughter just got into an art school. We just found out she got into this art school. Wow. Yeah, right. Congratulations. That's so cool. uh, thank Yay. you. I'm so psyched. And she's going for writing. And she's kind oh. of like, she doesn't necessarily love writing, but mm. I don't care. Like, I, she also applied to this production design uh, program and she she's never expressed any interest but i i was like whatever you want to try is, is yeah fine. you gotta try because yeah. i feel like the overlap of all this stuff it, it's 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 negligible it's just if if you're if you're expressing you're you're finding some some outlet that that's the absolute best thing i've found that all those things are intertwined my knowledge of especially right now my knowledge of film school i went to film oh. school and it, I went, yeah. as far as going to film school for just one year mm-hmm and uh, and then I was like, that's not the business for me. It's, uh, I love the the yeah. art of it, oh. but the business was just like, oh my <laughs> god, I, I, it's so cut, it's so cutthroat <laughs> and cruel, especially at that time, and very misogynist and very sexist. Oh yes, but this was like forty years ago. I'm sure it's still there, but not as bad. It's just, it's yeah, it's behind more doors. <laughs> yeah, probably they probably learned how to get a bit yeah, more. Yeah, it's still pretty bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, so I I, I um. Uh, that's come in handy learning the because now I'm making these videos for my Patreon and all these like I'm getting into final mm -hmm. uh, Premiere Pro and like and which oh, cool. you know, I used, I'm used to the I learned on the old the actual equipment but which is no longer exists so now I'm just kind of learning it through the screen it's crazy but how friendly is a uh, professional music world to uh, female musicians and creators and stuff I mean I think it's probably evolved a it's lot. been beautiful to me it's been great yeah. to me. Because, you know, you hear a lot of sad stories, you know, of just people being used up. Well, yeah, I have seen only a few instances of, I don't want to mention the artists, but um, they're European artists, but I'll just say that much. <laughs> Fucking Europeans. <laughs> no, no, no I love the Europeans. <laughs> I love too, the Europeans. Um, but this artist was really, really sexist and horrible to some younger members, some younger women, girl, young ladies. They were young that mm -hmm. were in, in his particular band. And he was so disrespectful to, to them on a stage once that I was the one and only time in my whole career I ever walked off the Whoa. stage in the middle of the oh, show. Wow. I put the bass down and I walked away because I can yeah. I can put up with a lot of things and I've certainly put up with a lot of racist shit growing uh -huh. up in Philly in the mm. 70s. So and you know whatever, that doesn't bother me. But but I don't like people who disrespect especially women and mm -hmm. ones and and young women who are not, you know, who are who, yeah. who maybe don't have the armor yet or whatever it is that you need to sort mm -hmm. of deal with the shit that comes your way, especially when you're young and pretty. Mm -hmm. So, because you know, and because I was an odd-looking woman or girl, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> you know, and I'm and I'm sort of I'm bisexual and I'm not, you know, I'm not so, I'm not your average girl, right, you right. know. I think I avoided some of that for that reason and also because I was in you know, I had a really like the position of the base is a kind of like important position. So it's like if I'm yeah. there, it's like, whoa. You know, it was like this. It was like, whoa. So people, <laughs> no. So people, I don't know. I had a certain respect. And I, and I, and that's all I asked for anybody, male or female, really. But mm -hmm. so I, I just kind of, um, I've, I've seen it. I've seen other women um, who are more traditional, whether they're singers or they're, you know, whatever. 
be treated not so nicely by some artists oh. and some things and it's not nice I, I hate that that's my biggest pet peeve i hate to see mm-hmm. that i always stand up for that i can't it's yeah. like if i'm here and then you're gonna treat her like that what's the difference and then you're yeah. no way you're gonna treat me like that so yeah. <laughs> i don't want to see this so it's such not- a confusing message of like what you said of that that they you know young girls pretty girls mm-hmm. this thing mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. that you know that that is that's held up as such a, a thing of value and it's such a thing oh, and, yeah. and for some people might have the perspective of like oh that's a thing of power but really in in a lot of instances it is so reductive it becomes oh. this yeah, re- re- exactly, reductive exactly. thing exactly it's sort of yeah yeah, yeah. and for yeah. him to kind of like wield that that power over that is yeah yeah cuz it's easily done and then, and they're a little bit lower on the sort of musical food chain usually when you know mm. it's not like it's it's not the bass player or the drummer or you know somebody right. who's got a, a real strong position in in the band so i can't believe sting would do that yeah. no it's not sting <laughs> okay. he's british he's british he's not european he might he might think he's european but he's not <laughs> very different uh. no i'm just kidding <laughs> This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel. Because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Robert Evans, and does it seem like everything's kind of falling apart? That's because it is. Uh, First off, climate change is hitting a lot harder than our most optimistic predictions had uh, anticipated, and that's leading to infrastructure falling apart. It's leading to uh, food and everything becoming more expensive. It's just going to cause a lot of continued problems and weird problems. Like, you know, remember when toilet paper wasn't available? That kind of weird. It's going to keep happening, and we're also going to continue our lurch into authoritarianism. And that can be kind of scary. But the good news is that when things start to fall apart... We all have an opportunity to replace them with something better, to build a new world from the ashes of the old. On my new show, It Could Happen Here, Monday through Friday, we'll chronicle the collapse, yes, but we're also going to talk to visionaries and thinkers who have ideas about what could replace it, and who are going out there in the world right now to try to build something better. So, listen to It Could Happen Here on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, I'm Aditi Kinkabwala. And I'm Mike Yam, and we are the hosts of NFL Explained. It's the podcast where football fanatics come to learn everything they always wanted to know about football. But didn't know who to ask. They can ask us now. And, of course, we're going through all of these topics, Aditi. And I know you and I are so excited to start disseminating nothing but football nugs. Well, and Mike, I've got questions of my own. Like, do you know why the Packers are named the Packers? I do know that it has nothing to do with Pac-Man, and it has everything to do with 
cheese packing. Not cheese, with meat. Meat packing. It was a meat packing company that put $500 up for the uniforms. Or how about this? How about like what constitutes an actual catch in football, which I would imagine all my years of covering college football is a different answer now covering the NFL. And unfortunately, Mike, I don't think that we will possibly have enough time to figure that one out. But the point is, you're going to be able to join us every Thursday to talk about every interesting detail about the game we love. It's NFL Explained. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you're you're from Philly. What is with the what's with the musical water? In I Philly? know. Like we 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 keep encountering all these amazing yeah. musicians out there. Everyone's so good. Yeah, and bass players too. Nathan East is from Philly. I found out he was born. Wow. He, they, he moved from there when he was fourteen. The family moved out west, so he's born in Philly. Stanley Clark is from Philadelphia. Oh wow, that's cool. Um, and there was another famous bass player. I can't remember who it is now. Someone told me recently. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm grateful that I was born there. I'm so grateful. It was such a the great roots. great school. The mm-hmm. roots. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's such a great city to be like, yeah. schooled in music, especially at that time. Because that was the prime of like Gamble and Huff. Oh. Yeah. There's a picture of them over there, but you can't see it on the other side. Tell me about what is Gamble and Huff? Philadelphia International Records that did they they basically kind of invented disco. That was where oh. where um, Lou Rawls, um, oh gosh, tons of people. Uh, now I'm I'm blanking. They mm-hmm. they had their own. It was their own. It was like the F- Philadelphia version of Motown, basically. Yeah. Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff, and they were like they had a a, a studio mm-hmm. in Philadelphia International Records in Philadelphia, oh. and there were a lot of artists, LaBelle, um, even the Jacksons. Jackson Five did a record on uh, for Gamble. There's there's a, a there's a like a box set of like four CDs of all these different artists who've come through came through the Philly the Philly sound they call it. Mm-hmm. Of course, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Yeah. Teddy Pendergrass. All that stuff was fresh then. It was just starting. It was all mm-hmm. that great new music. I think that's what brought David there to do Young Americans. It was that same era. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. And that's my favorite Bowie album as, as well. And it's not because it was done in Philly. because I, It's just that I, I, I think that's just my favorite Bowie album. He sang his yeah. ass yeah. off on that record. He sang his yeah. ass off on that It's record. so interesting when, when a scene grows out of an area. Or, mm. you know, mm-hmm. which is... Which, yeah, when, totally. And it becomes like this fertile period. And usually it's destroyed when other... You know when the corporate monsters find out about it. Yeah, kind of. Well, it's true. They sell out. They sell like Motown sold. You know, to someone in California or whatever. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. they end up selling down. You know, the big bigger whale just eats up. The yeah. yeah, but it always seems like it comes out of something that that is community based. That is just 100%. about yeah. just about yeah. making yeah. that. Sister thing. Sister Sledge, another band uh-huh. from the Philly oh, nice. Sound, um, the OJ's. The OJ's. Uh, yeah, that's all Philly. Yeah, Love Train and all that stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, the band that does our podcast theme song is from Philly. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> the Cheese Steaks, that, that cheese famous steak. band. The Cheese Steaks. Maybe that's what it is. I think it's the Cheese Steaks. It's not the water. It's the Cheese Steaks and the Soft Pretzels. I, I love those freaking Soft Pretzels, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are amazing. <laughs> I lived on those things. Fueled by a terrible diet. <laughs> music of course. Music. Yeah, yeah. But a scene, Brian, I'm going to be very bold here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think... Our group of comedians from New York City are the funniest group of comedians in the world. Yeah. Like our era. Um, 
And it had something to do with us all living in New York City at the same time, all having those crazy ass adventures at the same time. You know, oh, I, t- I'm I sure. totally, of course, totally. I agree. And and our and sort of like what I was saying, like that, we were doing that stuff because we found this place we could do it, and we were all just like excited to get stage time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it wasn't even like mean? oh, I'll make money at some point. It was just like oh my god there's other funny people yeah I didn't <laughs> exactly. know other funny people yeah, exist yeah, yeah, I yeah. didn't have the concept yeah. of like making money from it I just thought like this is going to be the thing I did on the side exactly neither did I <laughs> yeah and then and then once you bring that into it it gets you know you're you gotta dance with your ego a little bit and you gotta dance sure. with like, outside yeah, forces yeah. my ego stuff. is more like a brutal fist fight <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah my ego just drags me around oh those damn egos yeah exactly egos are so stupid you around by the ankles. <laughs> Give that ego a cheesesteak until it yeah. shows up. <laughs> exactly. Good. Let's switch over to bass. A little, a little okay. bass rapping here. Because I have a... Oh, oh, I just happened to have it oh, back there. Oh, did you just happen to... I see yours back there. I just happened to place it too. behind me. Well, well you do too. I've oh, got, my God. I've got two back there. I've got two bass. Can you guys jam out together? Is there a two bass jam thing? There's a yeah. We have a, a low end off. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> what if there was a band that was all basses? Mm. Oh, there was. There used to be a, I'm a sure there is thing one. called Duo that was um, the bass player from Minutemen and Firehose, mm-hmm. and then Kira, who used to play in Black Flag, and they did. Oh, they wow. had they had a couple wow. of albums that was all just. <laughs> Just, just two bases, just two bases, just two bases. <laughs> so good. Nice, it works. At a certain point, I started hating gear and equipment. I used to be a photographer, and so I always mm. had like just shit everywhere. Oh, I'm like, yeah. I'm sick Tell of this. It. It. Tell me about it. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. So I did a big purge when I moved and stuff. But I want to get a bass amp, and I'm in a residential area. I'm just gonna play in my basement and stuff. Mm. Um, if I got a little Ampeg 40 watt for my basement, do you think that that would be? That's a good basement bass amp. 40 watt? Which one do you look at? You know exactly what model you look at? I don't. It has a bunch of letters and numbers. I know that much. <laughs> I literally <laughs> looked at it this morning. I was like, I'll ask Gail and Dorsey. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a 100% advocate of amp. I've been endorsing their amps for like 25 years or something now. Oh, yeah? Okay. Because I was going to ask, what is your chosen setup? I don't have it up here. Um, I suggest you get what the mini SBT. It's like a tiny version of the big giant ones that I play on stage. They made like a miniature mm-hmm. version. It has two, so it has its own little head, but yeah. it's small and weighs like two pounds. It's amazing oh, cool. how they make them so light now. I could put it in my purse. It's and great. then it sits, yeah. And then it sits on two tens, a two ten mm-hmm. cabinet that's vertical. Cool. And then and it sits perfectly on the top. And there you have like a tiny little tower. That is a great amp. That's nice. It's great. The mini SBT. SVT, yeah. SVT. S as in Susan, yeah, SVT. We're now sponsored by the Ampeg. Tony Levin plays those as well. I know when when they first started making them a few years back, we we both got a set of them and uh, were trying them out. And I I watched him play them at NAMM, actually. It was funny. But I use them on stage. I have two cabinets. I have the two, and you can stack them up, and they sound really good. Oh, cool. Brian, how crazy is life? 
our bald podcast, you're getting base amp advice from Gail <laughs> Who'd have ever thought? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit that I kind of been playing you for a long time, Charlie. This is just what I've been angling towards. You've just, been getting, been. just getting gear <laughs> advice. From, there you go. <laughs> someone I had a, a, a talent crush on back in the day. <laughs> you have is that a jazz bass you have back there? No, it's a it's a P bass. It's a P bass. Oh, yeah. nice. Okay. And I don't. I honestly, I got it. Uh, I felt like I should get it, but I had an, this Ibanez bass before mm-hmm. that I can't remember. It had uh, dual pickups and it was like a solid body. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it because it, it looked like too uh, smooth jazzy. Yes, I was going to say. <laughs> it totally yeah, looked like yeah. I should just be like, boo, 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 boo. Well, but, yeah, um, Ibanez kind of has that reputation. Yeah. They, do sa- they make good guitars, though. It sounded great. I and bet. now I wish I had not passed I it along. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I know. I've I've let go of a few things that I d- wish I hadn't. Yeah, but, but I've um, always wanted to have a. I've always wanted a jazz bass. I've never. Yeah, gotten those are look. my favorite. I have a piece yeah. over there. It's behind my music man. Um, but I um, jazz basses are my favorite. I like the small little neck on them at the top yeah, of the neck. It's like nice. like just perfect. I don't have very big hands, but it's such a nice yeah. uh, feeling. I have a seventy-eight. I just got one like two years ago. I had a nice seventy-six jazz bass that i bought in california and i don't know i have bad luck with some of the vintage basses because the truss rods always go you know what a truss rod is like the metal rod that's inside so you can so you can adjust the angle of the neck so you can get the strings to stop buzzing or whatever it's just it's very slight but you need it just it goes through the body of the neck it goes through the body of the the wood and which will warp naturally so it keeps it yeah so it keeps it from snapping or you want it to go a little give or you could just adjust it very slightly and Mm -hmm. they and if they snap you kind of have to rebuild the fretboard. And a lot of my oh. old ones, I've been unlucky that I've had the, the truss rods either get stuck or jammed or they snap, and then it's like they don't work, so you can't set it up properly, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, that's when they were getting those discount truss rods. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, that's right. We saved $10 in each <laughs> truss rod. Who cares? They must have, yeah. And I, uh, yeah. No, but I have a nice one now. I have a nice 78 uh, jazz bass. That's cool. What are there like new young musicians you're into, Gail? Who are like the up and comers you're psyched about? Mm, as as like instrumentalists or just in general? Mm. Uh, what just in general, I guess. Or you can uh, say they're threats to you. Also, you can be <laughs> no. Honest you know what? I, I'm going to be a hundred percent honest and, and say I actually don't know a lot of what's going on out there unless someone sort of I just stumble stumble upon it or someone suggests I listen to something. But I I tend to listen to old music most of the time i have to admit. yeah yeah i have to say that i see things once in a while that i like like i really i love the i love a great pop song like i used to love oh, the yeah. spice girls and stuff i mean those songs mm, are fun totally. like just a great They're great you know you can't deny it. it doesn't matter whether you like the whole package but the song just nails you and every time you hear it you just it just brings you and i like oh, yeah. and so i i'm really digging um i'm just discovered her too but i think she's been around uh, du- Duo Lipa, Duo Lipa, oh, yeah, yeah. Duo Lipa, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of like disco. It reminds me of sort of disco meets I don't know what, but it's like Donna Summer meets. It's just got that. <laughs> it's got that great. Those great. She's got those hooky great pop tunes. So I'm yeah. I'm enjoying her as well. Oh, cool. I I, I can't say. I can't imagine what it's like to be a musician now Ugh, because it is even more just like you know hit the road. 
<laughs> that's it. Just town to town. Well, that's true. I know. I know. It's and and now since last year, it's like we well, can't even hit the road. So what do you do? I know. We, we just got a, like a stalemate. We already like oh man got this. Yeah, yeah. The stream. The stream. stupid fucking pandemic. I'm oh. such a pent up comedian. I'm like oh, I have tell to me ret- about- <laughs> just like oh, dude. Right. I want to do a show so bad. Oh, <laughs> I know it's contrary. I'm a huge fan of this pandemic. <laughs> really, <laughs> you started really? love it. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah right. I was like everybody stay home. <laughs> just garden the, more. It's all the introverts of the world, right? It's all their fault. <laughs> yeah, Cosmic energy. Yeah. Stay home. <laughs> Don't look at me. Um, yeah no but yeah it is hard to be a musician it was you know even before the pandemic I mean that's why you know I mean I personally and I'm happy about it is that most of my career has been touring I'm not like a Mm. really big session player and so I've been on quite a few records but not like a lot not like Tony Mm. and those guys you know but also they're older than me and they've but but still I I've toured most of my career and I I love that cuz I like to travel. I always wanted to travel. I always wanted yeah. to see places and go places and yeah. just be somewhere different and experience things. So it's worked perfectly for my dream of that. Yeah. Can I interrupt him? What, what what so what is the difference? Like is Tony just a person to be like, you know, I prefer kind of my home base and so you can use me in that way? Like did you or did you communicate to the various musicians you work with like I'm I'm game to go on tour. Let, let's do this, um, and it mm. just became sort of like you were known as like a yep. She's she's a road road warrior. Well, I th- no, I, most of my jobs um, just came to me. I yeah. I can't think of one job I ever asked for that wow. I went that I went to the person and said, "Can I work for you?" Mm-hmm. They could, one would just happen, and then I think they would. See, most of the early stuff I did was paying those road dues. Like I was in London at the time; that's where I kind of broke over in Europe mm-hmm. and in London. And there was just so much live music at that time. You just, you know, you just you turn a corner. There was some. There was some another pub that had music. It was just music everywhere, all over. Yeah. Europe. Oh my God! I want to make a TV show about that. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. It, I got, it was a. I I hit it right at the right time. That whole London scene in the eighties and going into the early nineties. <laughs> oh, but, that must have been crazy. Oh, it was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. But um, so I got you know that's where I kind of cut my teeth, as they say. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed. You know, like, I think people would see me. So they would go, oh, I want to have her in my band. I've mm-hmm. seen that concert, and she's really good, and she looks good. You know, again, the, the ball, going back to the bald power. Bald it always power. comes back to bald. Bald power. Bald power, baby. <laughs> true. It's true. It's well, true. It, Like I said, it's certainly worked in my advantage, and I'm grateful for that, you know. That's so um, cool. But, yeah, so that it just, I think my whole package, and also that I sang, that was also, it's not just being bald, mm. but the fact that I could sing was yeah. an extra thing because they're going to get two for one. Right. They might sometimes have to pay for it, but not all, not certainly not in the beginning. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like play bass. Oh, and if you don't mind, also sing back up. Yeah. Sing and and, I, and that, I'm great. Again, it's another thing. I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm for, I feel fortunate that I didn't get to go to music school or whatever, or get a degree, but that was my school. Like that, that yeah. every, every challenge was school. That was an exam to pass. Everything, you right. know, instead of looking at it like I can't do this, which sometimes I would. And I have mm-hmm. to say, that's one of the greatest blessings of having worked with Bowie was that he believed in me. He really believed in me to, mm-hmm. and pushed me to do things that I never thought I could be able to do. Obviously, first of all, sing under pressure and play it at the same time. Yeah. I never, I ne- and, and <laughs> sing it with, and sing it with David Bowie. You know, it's like, how yeah. am I going to do that? But he was like, you do it. You just, you can do that. Why are you That's even? So why cool. do you even doubt it? 
<laughs> and and it was always like that. And I'm so grateful to that man for that. He was just mm. the best mentor I could ever have had. So uh. I, so that was school to grow and just accept every challenge. But like I just think it became a thing where people just saw me on stage. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would do records. Sometimes they would come off the back of a tour. That's how I did yeah, uh-huh. the, the few Bowie records I did. And the one record I did with Tears for Fears, we were already on a tour, and then it rolls into an album. That's often happens oh, because a lot of because a lot of artists are writing on the road, mm-hmm. and, and you oh. do and you start jamming stuff in sound checks and stuff like that. Oh wow! And then it's, and then you come off the road and like, let's go in the studio because we're hot, we're good, we're tight, we're playing every night. But and then you can just kind of knock it out. Wow! And then like generating uh, an album that way for for you is like the, does that give you a greater the uh, ownership not ownership but you know like yeah the, your your baselines are exactly in res- yeah they're my baselines really i'm not learning someone yeah. else's this time but yeah. uh, but going back to that it, itself is also been part of my schooling i have so mm-hmm. enjoyed learning the mind and the thinkings of of anyone from tony to pino paladino to you know whoever george murray uh, other people who've played on these different records that i've had to learn the, their bass parts for for yeah. different artists tours that i didn't play oh. on those records it's a great it's a great schooling yeah you know i'm never going to be them i don't really have their tone maybe but i'm learning how they put a part together because it really mm-hmm. is about deciding which way you're going to turn that wheel like you need to yeah. know which way you're going to go so you can get to the destination so you, Whoa. it's like figuring it out it's just been brilliant that's I feel cool. like I learned so much about music during this episode because <laughs> yeah, I totally. love it, but I don't really understand it. You know, <laughs> well, it is. But I mean, if to, to draw a parallel to what we do, like improv and stuff, it, there, there's a lot because I was going to say earlier, there's such an overlap between comedians and uh, music to me mm-hmm. in that you have you have an innate understanding of what the the pace mm-hmm. and tone absolutely and and kind of like punch points of a yes, joke or a scene or yeah, you know what yeah, I mean yeah. and those things where you know like I'm coming up on this thing and I know the reaction probably is going to be good and then it, that leads to the next part of it like early on because like coming when I I've told this probably far too many times but when I came from I played in the band and then I was in New York and I started doing improv I was I really quickly I was like the improv scene is a lot like the small little North Carolina indie rock scene that I just came out oh, of. Oh, I love people it down are, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah people, yeah. It's, it's about like, what can we make? What are we doing? Can I do something with you? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. competing with I you, but I'm supporting you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then just apart from that, just like the 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 that musical stuff started to make sense to me in, in learning improv. Like that, yeah. that helped my brain kind of get around like, oh, yeah, you kind of hold back for a while. They get the solo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dynamics. It's the yeah. same thing. It's like yes. it's like you create a song. You obviously have some idea what you're going to say when you go up and do your improv. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like a hundred percent. Like just sometimes it can be. I'm, I'm I don't know your world, so I'm just guessing. We have but, no but, plan at all. We have no plan. <laughs> no, really? None. <laughs> sometimes. None. Do, well, <laughs> do, do the do the do the people? So when you see like. Um, uh, Wanda Sykes or somebody like that or one of those the, what's the other guys you know the I don't know I'm, I don't know what she's the name like, they write stuff right or, yeah, yeah, or they, they do their stand up oh that's different so that's not the same as improv yeah there's a group of us there's like five to eight of us 
Oh, we get cool. a suggestion and we have no plan whatsoever. Oh, that's great. No, that's even better. <laughs> but yeah, so but fun. then that is very much like music, but you still have to definitely play it. Yeah, you've yeah, got to, you've, yeah, got to sure. perf- you've got to play it like 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 Coltrane would make an improv on his saxophone. It's the same. Yes, yes. And you tug and you pull and you get that emotion and you yeah, I get it. I totally get yeah. it. Yeah. It's absolutely the same. Did you know there are thousands of active cults in America today? Political cults, sex cults, acting class cults. But do you ever wonder, who are the individuals who get manipulated into them? I'm Liz Iacuzzi. I'm Tyler Meesom. Was I in a Cult is a documentary podcast showcasing the raw, dynamic, and inspiring firsthand stories of individuals who got in. And most importantly, got out of a cult. The truth is, cults are never what they seem. Because what you sign up for is not what you get. This is what happens. God sends a she-bear. They'll find a way to sedate you. Sometimes you would hear kids being beat for like, it seemed like hours. I remember people literally running out of the class screaming. Go into the temple and have roast beef with Jesus. So we then turned our calorie deficit into something that meant more because Keith likes his girl skinny. Why are people so obsessed with cults? Maybe because it could happen to anyone. And we should know. Because it happened to us. Listen to Was I in a Cult every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss out on the top stories from the best insiders around the NFL. I'm your host, Rhett Lewis, and on the NFL Inside Report podcast, I'll go around the league so you can hear much more of the story. The NFL Inside Report podcast will offer thorough, in-depth analysis and storytelling with a multitude of exclusive NFL insiders getting unmatched access. NFL Inside Report will provide you with comprehensive coverage, including game recaps, the biggest news and in-depth reports that take you beyond the headlines multiple times per week, all on the NFL Inside Report podcast. Our exclusive NFL insiders will get the opportunity to share the full, extensive story so you can stop wondering what's really going on. You'll know what's happening behind the scenes in the NFL. Listen to NFL Inside Report on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know the final score. Now listen to the NFL podcast that tells you why it happened. Dan Orlovsky, Scott Pioli, and me, Bob Oshusen. We're tapeheads going inside the coaching tape and giving fans the answers. I always say this, Bob. Don't talk to me about quarterbacks and say they can make all the throws. Make the right one at the right time. That's something that he does really well. Regardless of what the hierarchy is, folks in the personnel department, including the general manager, need to be servants to the head coach. Well, here's the question I want to ask. Why do you all lie to us? and tell us that these rookies aren't going to play. Do they have a skill or trait that is going to allow them to survive? Bob's going to bring me back to my good years at the Jets. Yeah. Were there some? Heck yeah. Come on, AFC Championship. I also believe this closes the gap between them and, you know, those other top-tier teams in the AFC, Cleveland, Kansas City, and Buffalo. Listen to Tapeheads on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking bald, yeah. Do you, have you ever played uh, any jazz stuff? Like I, you cited Mingus. 
<laughs> I tr- I tried. I mean, I, that's yeah. where I totally feel I'm a, I'm 100% an imposter, but I did. That was one of the first gigs I had in London. My first really? I I found these two women who played uh jazz, like standards. They had the the real book or the fake book or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm, There's like a book mm-hmm. that has every single jazz standard ever written in it. It's like this big right. encyclopedia. And it just has chord charts in it which I can't really read, but if you tell me what the note starting note, I just figure it out from there. So I met these women, and one was a saxophone player, and one was a, a piano player. And we had mm-hmm. a trio, a trio called the Fungetti Trio, like fun, like oh, fun like and that. spaghetti. The Fungetti yeah. Trio. I didn't name it, but that's what. <laughs> <I like laughs> that's it. And they were two English women and uh, British women in this is in London. And we that was my first job where I was um, actually making like some money from me, like I could sort of almost survive. Because no, we had, nice. because we played all the pubs, like the pubs had a lot of music. Mm-hmm. And and they had, you know, Sunday jazz at this pub. And then there was a Saturday something at this pub. And there was some kind of arts festival that had jazz. For, uh, so we were playing all these little places. And you make your little 40 pounds or whatever. And it starts adding up at the end of the week, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it was well, all totally. standards. And I, so I learned how to play, like, a, I learned a walking bass pattern that was probably the same one I played over and over and over again. That, yeah, totally. That's the best I could do. Like I couldn't like just really like be free, but yeah. I could, but I could fake it. So yeah. that was really my imposter. So I did play jazz cause I like it, but I, I'm not, I would never ever consider myself a jazz bass player in a million yeah, that, years. It's jazz, a jazz to me is like a whole nother world, man. Is it's it really? a whole it's nother so world. Interesting. Oh, totally. To me, it's uh, it's sort of like, hey, do you like classical music? Do you also like abstract art? Let's jam them together <laughs> yeah. and do it publicly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know so, what I started to get from this conversation so much is one of my favorite songs of all time is Walk on the Wild Side oh, uh, yeah. by Lou Reed. Yeah. And you saying how the bass is the driver. It well, totally is of that song. Well, mm-hmm. a lot of times the bass is the thing that makes the song. Like it's the yeah. most, it's the most hookiest part. It's not always that, meant to be. Sometimes it is technically right. in the background of the song. Right. It, but yeah, "Walk on the Wild Side" is known. You hear that bass line, you know it. You hear another yeah. one bites the dust by Queen, my favorite yeah. band of all time. Yeah, totally. You know it. That's the song. It like yeah. it's like a lot of things like that. The, the other song I love, "Last Night a DJ Saved My Life." That's a great bass mm-hmm. line. Oh, um, you know, and those things kind of all. They, yeah, that they, is the song, bass driven. I was when I first started kind of writing demos when I was had left uh, film school and went to New York and tried to like get a record deal or whatever. And I was writing all these demos on a four track. I was definitely writing stuff like that, like bass centric lines, yeah. and then kind of just putting a little guitar around it, like that sort of Nile Rodgers guitar, which is my favorite kind of like funky strat, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But the bass was, yeah, the bass can be so many, it can take so many um, different faces, you know, in the music. Yeah. That's cool. Very oh, man, cool. this was so great, Gail. I mean, yeah, you're bald, that's cool, but all this other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all that other stuff's pretty interesting as well. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Gail. It was so, so fun welcome. having you. You're yeah. welcome. Thanks for inviting me. I know Tony wrote me uh, about it after he had done it. He had a blast with you guys. He had a good oh, time. Oh, sweet. I'm so and, glad. Uh, and he said, hey, you know, I just did this thing called <laughs> Ball Talk. <laughs> and he said, it's not as scary as it sounds. <laughs> I had a really good time. And oh, funny enough, he hear. used to be my neighbor. I I'm, I can see his house just there. But uh, uh, I, I, I moved into his name. Na- I've been in... We've lived in the same area for a long, many, many years, but then I bought a house right across the street from him a few years ago. And then, oh. then like two years ago, he moved to a different house. He'd been in there oh. for like 
20 years or something in that house, but it was a big house. So him, mm. and, him and his wife have downsized, I believe. I haven't seen their new place yet. But we were neighbors, and he's a lovely guy, and I'm a yeah. huge fan, and what an amazing art, musician and artist he is. He's yeah. incredible. Yeah. He was great. yeah, he's a good dude. Oh, he's my goodness. Nice man. Yes, we he have is. To ra- we, I know okay, we have no. to wrap up. But no, 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 please. Let me, let, I have to tell one quick story. Oh, please okay. do. I have seen the interior of David Bowie's apartment in New York. Ooh. Because I worked at a video store, and for our younger listeners, video stores were places where you used to get movies in a box <laughs> shape and put them in a machine and watch Yay! them. Mm-hmm. And we delivered, <laughs> and David Bowie and Iman would order, would have us deliver videos to them. So uh-huh. I never actually saw David Bowie because when I would deliver, it would usually be Iman that answered the door. But sure, <laughs> there I still you go. Like to brag that I saw was the that interior. the one? Was that the one on Essex House or? It was just south of Houston. Um, oh, down the oh yeah, down at the the, the new house. It it's exactly. uh um off of Prince Street, uh Mulberry, yeah. Mulberry or whatever. It was on Mulberry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Nice. Nice. <laughs> there you go. So we always is. have to have our second ending, Brian, where you wrap it up perfectly and then I ruin it with something. <laughs> <laughs> where are you guys? Are you in uh, uh, West Coast? We're in LA. Oh, yeah. okay, nice. Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. Where are you? Uh, Kingston, New York. I'm oh, nice. two couple miles, a uh, couple miles, a couple of hours north of the city. Mm. Woodstock. I'm up here with the old hippie. Oh wow! The oh, old cool. hippie pot smokers and yeah. Uh, we talk. used to my Tie friends dye. and I used we used to rent uh, this house in uh, Fleischmann's, New York, mm-hmm. um, which is further down from from there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the summer, just to get out of New York because it was disgusting. Of course, of course. Uh, and it was so great. It was just it was just this weird know, little dead town like yep. you know mm-hmm. and we we're pretty much the only people in town so it's yeah. so strange sometimes that's nice it used to yeah. be more quiet here but kingston is now they call it the, the upstate brooklyn it's the new brooklyn yeah. oh, really? everybody's yeah. flooded up here in the last few years even before the pandemic they were coming yeah it's oh, wow. like yeah, it's a hot hot area right now it's the place yeah. to be musicians yeah. here actors um all kinds of incredible stuff so i'm happy that there's that community a new scene. But it's Got getting quiet. Scene. Yeah. Hey, life changes. That's how it goes. It goes round and round and round. <laughs> All right. Listen, real fast, Charlie, before we get into another conversation, bring us home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was Gail and Dorsey. Gail, thank you so much for being on Bald Talk. Uh, all you baldies and you harrows out there, follow us on Instagram at Bald Talk Pod. Download us. Listen, enjoy, rate, review on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget about this other social media option, which is called <laughs> Twitter. Twitter. Uh, we, right, at at which we are a Bald Talk Podcast. Bald Talk Podcast we on We wanted Twitter. to make it as confusing as possible, so... <laughs> Instagram is Bald Talk Pod. Twitter is Bald Talk Podcast. Podcast. Um, (laughs) And that's it. And I guess in summary, shave your head, guys and ladies and everybody. That's right. Keep it clean. (laughs) Keep it clean. Keep it clean. Thanks, Gail. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Someone to talk to Brian and Charlie Have a hairless party And they are all there to invite you No hairdos No shampoos Interviews Only on Bald Talk Hey guys, this is Maddie And Kenzie Ziegler And we have a podcast called Take 20 
We want to kick back and hang out with you. But we know you're busy, so let's take 20 every week to talk, to vent, to get real. 20 minutes to catch up and talk about everything that's on our minds and yours. Listen with us for 20 minutes when you're in the car, putting on makeup, working out, cleaning your room, avoiding doing your homework. Take a break from whatever you have to do and hang out with us. Listen to Take 20 on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. River Cafe Table 4 is a brand new podcast with me, Ruthie Rogers. Each week, I invite a special guest such as Paul McCartney, Glenn Close, or Michael Caine to discuss their food memories, what they cook, the restaurants they choose, and the food they seek when comfort is needed. Years ago, it was sausage and mash. Yes. Now it's caviar. Ah, okay. (laughs) Listen to River Cafe Table 4 on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Honorary Forest Ranger Betty White here, lending a hand to my dear friend Smokey Bear. Because for years, he's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But there's a lot more to say. Like if you park your car on tall, dry grass, the hot exhaust pipe can start a wildfire. So keep the animals safe, especially the cute shirtless one. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.